Mama's at my house. Mama weighs barely over 100 pounds at this point, she told me. She's 92 years old. My sister's on vacation, so she comes and spends the week with us. Mama's hair is all gray now, but it used to be red. And it used to carry a part of her personality with it. And I always knew when I was doing something wrong because she would always give me that look. And then whenever I'd push her to her int desire, and trust me, I pushed her daily, especially during the summer. So, so this thought is for summer mothers or fathers who are at home taking care of children. Thank God she didn't kill me. Now, she had built-in reservoir of a way to handle me. It was pretty simple. It was all those flowers weeds that grew in our 20-acre pasture. And one summer, I pushed her to her limit. And she related to my father when he got home. And my sister and I were worried about what Dad might do, for good reason. And then he did a strange thing. He came in very calm. Daddy was not always very calm when he was disciplining us. And he came in and said, tomorrow you start your summer project. And we'll see if we can keep you out of trouble. And I said, what is that? You're going to cut all the milkweeds and all the weeds out of the 20-acre pasture. I knew then we had made a really bad mistake. We had to have pushed that little red-headed woman too far because now she'd gone to Daddy, and Daddy got something done without having to pay for it, so that made it the end of the day. So we'd go out there day by day, and yes, that was back before they knew it was too hot to be out there. And we were given hose, and we went out in that pasture, and we cut a strip down of all the milkweeds and everything there. And then you saw just the Bermuda grass after we were through it. It looked so good. I thought he was kidding. You know, I thought, you know, okay. We did that for two or three days, and there's a sizable patch of pasture showing. And then the dreaded thought came. He said, Daddy just thought this was a great idea. We weren't in trouble. We weren't bothering Mama. And the pasture was looking great. Just keep on going. We hoed the whole pasture using hose-like scythes to cut off the tops of those broom weeds. And it really did look good. I only wish my brother would have had to have done it instead of me. But he wasn't there then. He was already gone, left home. So there you go. I say that to say this. I think Mama saw and felt a little bad for us at some points, but not so bad that she didn't make us keep going out there every day. I don't know how that works. But anyhow, it was a lesson I never forgot. Sometimes... We look at our parents and we see them only in disciplinary terms. And we remember those things quite clearly when we did something wrong and they took action to help us live our lives in a better way. But you know, that's not the main thought I have about that little woman who's at my house now that I call Mama. The main thought I have about her and about my father was whatever was going on, even in the midst of the discipline, was when they looked at me, and I was in any way in trouble, not for my own making, but in trouble of another sort. They looked at me with eyes that were so kind and so compassionate. I knew they felt my pain. I remember lots of things that I did that caused myself pain from time to time. The normal beat-ups and bruises you get when you're out on the farm, out in the pasture doing things you shouldn't be doing. The cuts and the scrapes. I remember the stitches in the leg from the surgery. And I remember busting them out the next week when I fell on the floor and blood going everywhere. I remember all that stuff. But I most remember is when I was most disturbed and most troubled and feeling the worst in pain, 
Mother and daddy were always there. And that was true when I was in high school and had my heart broken. That was true when I was, whether it was over sports or some girl walking down the street, it didn't matter what it was. Whenever I was hurting, they were always there. It was almost sometimes as if they hurt more than I was hurting. Now, I would submit to you today that what I felt for my parents is what every child has the right to grow up experiencing. Knowing that there's someone in the world who's not only watching them, but seeing them. Someone who's not only seeing them, but identifying with their struggles and with their pain and with their cares. And I would submit to you that the church as a symbol of being a family is to be just like those families are. That we are God's family and we have been created in such a way that we too should be compassionate people. We should not just be loving people, we should be compassionate people. Because that's the way the Father was, that's the way the Son was, and that's the way the Spirit was and is today. You see, the Scriptures tell us that when God the Father was dealing with the nation of Israel, in the Psalms especially, it talks about God being a compassionate God, who, even though they were experiencing difficult time, would turn from his anger and would come back to them because he was a God of compassion, as it says in Psalm 78, 38. Compassion for Israel is something that God always harbored in his heart, in his mind. And it caused him to act in certain ways. It kept him from destroying them utterly at times because of the compassion he had in his heart for them. It talks about it again in Psalm 80, verse 15, and again in Psalm 111, verse 4, and again in Psalm 112, verse 4 there. Because you see, when we talk about God as love, we sometimes think about wanting what's best for someone, and that's kind of where it stops. We think that that's how God loved us, but if we think about it very long, it's really not. Because the way God loved us was compassion, a compassionate love, the kind of compassion that moves the Father to send the Son to us, even though he knew that the Son's life would be required. It's the kind of compassion that Jesus loved us with, that it speaks about in this passage of Scripture, where he, in the end, would be willing to give his very life in order that those who were lost might be found. It's the kind of compassion that causes the Holy Spirit to continue to whisper in our ears so that our minds might hear and our hearts might receive the very words that tell us God loves you, God cares about you, come to me. Come to the Father. Come to the source of your healing. Come. Over and over again, the tireless ministries of the Holy Spirit is wooing every lost person, every struggling person, every hurting person. And this passage is a great illustration of that, that work of Jesus. A great illustration of how when love becomes compassion, things happen. Things happen. And we live in a world and a time in this nation when we need great things to happen in God's name. We need the church of Jesus Christ to be dominated by its own feelings of compassion. Not having compassionate thoughts, but dominated by their feelings of compassion. Let's take another illustration. Grandparents, there's a lot of you out there today. Some of you have grandchildren, some of you don't, but if you don't, maybe they're coming. If they're not, adopt you some. They'll be just as good. Okay, almost. Okay, oh, they are just as good. When the children come down to see me, they're like grandchildren. When the quads come to give me hugs, 
if you've been in the foyer whenever they're leaving the nursery and leaving, and they're hollering, Pastor Doug, and they start coming to give me a hug, and then they ask me the first day, how are your eyes? They're expecting to be completely, they pray for me every day, and they have since they heard I was going to have surgery. Four of the little guys, born on the same day, born in the same hour, they're all there, and they want those eyes healed. There's no bomb like the bomb of those children, right? There's no bomb like the bomb of your grandchildren. What you would do for your grandchildren, you never did for your children, right? And your children are telling you that. You never said that for me. I'm, I mean, you know, I have to almost turn my head and leave the house when the ch- grandchildren get disciplined. Um, now, sometimes I'm thinking, okay, you really need to discipline just as soon as I leave, but I don't really want to watch it. You know, I don't really want to do that with my grandchildren, right? You just have this overwhelming thing about your grandchildren when you see them for whatever reason that you just want to take them and be sure that nothing hurts them. Or if it does hurt them in any way, you want to take them in your arms and make it all go away, right? You wanna do, you're going to do something. If you're going to hurt my grandchildren, first of all, you're going to get hurt, and then they're going to get comforted, right? I mean, that's the way it works. That passion inside you, the compassion you have for them, if something is hurting them, you want to fix it. Now, I want you to hold on to that thought. When you see something happening, you want to fix it. Seeing the people, Jesus felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Now, when you start thinking about that and you start thinking about the ministry of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, you begin to contemplate what this compassion means. In fact, one writer wrote that the compassion of God was essential for the maintaining of the covenant. It was. God had to have a lot of compassion to put up with those Israelites. He had to have a lot of compassion to put up with those Israelites when they mistreated his son. He had to have a lot of compassion for every one of us when his son was hanging on that cross. Just as the son had to have the same compassion for us to be willing to hang on that cross. He loved us to the point of being willing to take action on our behalf. The Holy Spirit is in the untiring work of trying to fully convert you and me. Do you realize how hard a work that is? Ask my mama. She's at my house. You can ask her for the rest of the week. And she might lie to you. I hope she lies to you a little bit, but she might tell you the truth, too. You never know about mama, you know. It was hard work raising me. I'm aware of that. How many times did I ask her, why? I didn't ask her once a day. I asked her all the time. Because I was an honorary little rascal. I didn't agree with much what she wanted to do because I already had my agenda. The Holy Spirit has put up with a world full of Dougs and yous. He's put up with a world full of yous. And we don't want to hear the Holy Spirit either, do we? We don't want to hear the Holy Spirit trying to really convert us and change the way we think and we act. We want to be good American people who go to church on Sunday and serve the Lord pretty often. But we're not always bitten by the compassion bug. Because when the compassion bug bites you, everything is different. So good to know that the youth went to Galveston, not just to get away for the, a week in the summer, but to go there and to serve. And when they got there, I'm sure they each would have their own stories of compassion, their own things that they saw and witnessed that they were in some way able to relate to and to work toward fixing. Because, you see, real love ends up turning into compassion. And compassion ends up always turning into action. 
You say, well, I know a lot of people who are loving, um, but that never gets that compassion and action part. You're getting the message. If it's really love, you have to have compassion. This week I did something I try not to do, but I called some men on last-minute notice in July to ask them to come to the church at 7.30 on Saturday morning because we had a lot of furniture to move out of the preschool area down there in order to get ready for paint and carpet. And we didn't have but this much room to do it in. And somehow we hadn't got a lot of responses from the first call, so I reverted to the phone call. When they picked up the phone, I said, what do you want? What do you need? I love it when they say that. Well, I kind of feel bad about it, though, because they know that's why I'm calling them, right? I said, I need you to be here at 7.30 tomorrow morning to move the furniture out of the preschool room and onto trucks and get it taken off the property and to move the stuff in the rooms that's left that we're keeping out in the hall so we can paint and carpet. I only need you from 7.30 to 10.30. Can you come? I'll buy the donuts. And I bought enough they didn't eat them all. You don't like to really make those calls because it's short notice. How many of you like to get up early on Saturday morning? Yeah, I'm not one of you, but I had to that day. I had to get here on time and have donuts ready for them. And you know, we had just enough people that we actually got through before the time I told them. We were through before 10 o'clock. Six or eight guys who said yes to last-minute requests. They had compassion on me. That's what they did. And they also had compassion for the ministry of the church that was happening in that, those few hours. Having compassion moves us to take action. Compassion in the biblical text can also be used, and at times is used, to words that are very similar in meaning. It connotes the idea of our language of pity and mercy and love, as well as compassion. They all kind of blend in there together, especially mercy and compassion. You've got to look at how the text is using it to, to interpret it and get to the full meaning. Mercy is required, but I think personally that compassion is a stronger word even than mercy. And I think compassion flows when we allow the loving thoughts in our heads to come over to our innermost part and to take control of it. And that's my argument today, and this is my one-point sermon. The church of Jesus Christ in the United States needs to be more compassionate, period. We need to be so compassionate that when we see the loss, we are moved to get off our dust and do something about it. We need to be so compassionate that when the kid is lonely in our neighborhood, we need to take them into our family and make them like our own. We need to be so compassionate that when we hear about some school where children are and they don't have everything they need, that we're not put off by anyone or anybody to keep from helping those children. We need to be so compassionate that people who are like sheep, wandering around and lost, and don't know how they're going to get from where they are, to any kind of a decent life. We need to be so compassionate that we dream dreams about how to put the wheels of innovation into place so that the church of Jesus Christ can do what the church of Jesus Christ has always done when they're at their best. Who do you think started building hospitals in this country? Who was it? The church. Who started building the first schools? The church. Who is it that comes to helping the poor and the dying and the sick? It's the church. When we organized, we became something bigger than we were individually. We became a community of people who were compassionate and on fire about solving the evils of the world. Most of that work 
has fallen off in the last 50 years. And so has attendance in our churches. How many new hospitals have we started as a church? How many new schools have we built? That just became the government's job. What have we done lately in innovation? And we're not completely without innovative thoughts and motives. Don't get me wrong. We're doing a lot of wonderful things. Travel to Cambodia and look at churches that came out of compassion for those people. And the compassion still is there to support the ministries going on there. We're going to YWAM for that very same reason, to help them do their ministry. That's a ministry of compassion to help our brothers and sisters in missions. But it needs to be undertaken by every church in every locality. When we become so unconnected to our world, the church loses its power. The witness of Jesus goes awry, and it becomes mainly focused on ourselves. That's the complaint of many of the people who are not excited about the church today. It's because the church of today is more concerned about its own programs within than it is about the people outside the church. That is not biblical, but that is the reality in the world in which we live. We spend most of our dollars on ourselves. We spend most of our time on ourselves and our own children. We spend most of our time keeping our own house in order, and that seems like a full-time job, which brings me to a topic I want to talk about related to that. What are the things that hinder us and keeping us, keep us from being more compassionate? Well, first of all, I think why we struggle with compassion because of obstacles, sometimes it's distance. Sometimes it's like you know there are a lot of people in, the, in Indonesia who are not Christians. But we don't know how to reach them. They're so far away, we can't touch them. And then a missionary comes to our church, and he has a young wife, and their first place to be called to go is to Indonesia. God is making it possible for us to reach out there with compassion for the people who are living in appallable conditions and have no opportunity to understand God. Only 2 to 3% in that area are Christians. Compassion moves us to, to, to respond. Now, of course, here's the next thing that happens. We hear those missionaries speak, that couple talk about going to Indonesia, and one of them raised in his church, and we think about, wow, I wish we didn't already have so many mission activities. The mission budget's already spent. <laughs> Isn't that how we think? That's how I thought. But I also thought I was moved by their testimony and what they wanted to do. So I needed to tell you that I was moved so that you'd be moved too so that you'd expand the mission budget. And you say, well, that's, so that's a problem, isn't it, when we have compassion. We have compassion, but not enough compassion to reach into our pockets and write a check, right? Not enough compassion to sign up and go there ourselves. Not enough compassion to actually take action, which is no compassion at all, because if you have compassion, you're going to take action. You're going to make it happen, because that's the kind of world we live in. That's the kind of possibilities God uses to do incredible, miraculous things beyond what we could ever do by ourselves because of the need that's around us that people are seeing. When you see the need and you respond to it, God will not let you down, and he will bring others to your side so that that work might happen. Not only is distance a problem, not only is the lack of means or the finances to cause it to happen, but sometimes it's just a lack of knowledge. We don't understand what we're seeing. But more often than the lack of knowledge, I would say 
if we don't practice compassion enough. Like most things in our lives of faith, the more compassionate acts we're involved with, the more compassionate we become. I'm the perfect example. I was a selfish little snit. I was a young American male that all I thought I had to do was give my 10% to the church, which I finally caved into doing. My wife pulled me along into that, into that boat, and I found out that giving was actually fun. It was her gift, but it never was my gift. Well, I could be putting in my retirement account. I could be having another car. I could be doing a lot of things if I, I didn't give my money away, like most Americans think, right? But the thing is, about once you get hooked on giving and hooked on having compassion for somebody else, you know that the one that gets blessed most of all is not only the people who receive them, but your own self. When you give of yourself out of your compassion for Jesus and the, what you see in people's lives, you are the one who gets blessed the most. And once you get a few blessings from God, you want to have more of it. You want to become a giving peop- a person, a giving family, and be giving people. Because you see, we worry too much about our, our, our retirement account. And we worry too much about the life we live when people all around us are starving. Now, I've watched some of you retire, and I've made, I'm taking notes because I'm not all that far away from retiring someday, you know, whether it's five years from now or three years from now or whenever it is, who knows. But I, I know this, I have a lot of witnesses, and I've not seen a lot of you lose a lot of weight when you retire. And, and, and in fact, I'm encouraged by that because that lets me know I'm probably not going to starve when I retire. People just don't seem to restarve when they re- when they retire, and and I, I'm confident that if I get to starving, you take care of me. That could be my own foolishness, but I don't know. My wife will be have something to do with that too, right? But the reality is, we have so much that once compassion starts taking over, it's not only about what you're doing for yourself; it becomes equally about what you're doing for others. You see what I'm, you see where I'm going? In America, we have so much. And we do give compared to, if we like to compare ourselves to a lot of other people, we give a lot. But are we giving as much as we can? And are we giving out of compassion, unaware of how much it hurts? Because we so want to do it. When Jesus looked at a situation and saw what was going on, that was key to it. You ever drive up to a place where somebody's asking for handouts and look the other way? You know, because you hate to look at them in the eyes. And they know, now, I'm not berating everybody who's passing somebody by who's asking for handouts on the corner of every main artery in Dallas. Because I know that some of those people there, like you know, that's their way of life. That's the way they make a living, and they do pretty well at it. I know that. I also know that some of them, some of them, are actually in need of help, and things have happened that they couldn't have prevented. And I am praying diligently. I'm asking for blinking lights on the foreheads of everybody that really needs help. It would make Cindy's life so much easier when they come to the church with a story. You know, they need help, and she listens to the story. She has to discern if the story is true or not. You have to try and parse it to figure out what's going on. You've been entrusted with the Lord's money. It would be nice if everybody had a blinking light, but we just don't know. But if that human being is hungry on that corner, and he looks hungry, What's it going to matter to me if I give him something or not? What's it going to matter? You say, well, what do you mean? You'll be giving your money away. Well, how many of them do I pass in a week? Three? Maybe four? 
So if I gave everyone $20, what would it cost me? $80? Would $80 change my life? Yeah, now, if you're, some of you it would. But would 20 change your life if you gave five every time you were there? I don't know. If your heart is moved to compassion, you have to do something. And that's all I'm saying. But there's one category I've left out, and I'm going to end with it. It's one thing to feed people, and that's important. It's one thing to help people who are struggling with life, and that's important. But you know what's more important? Is to see them lost. And here's where I'm sure, without a doubt, that the church of Jesus Christ in these United States, in many of its expressions, are not seeing what's right in front of their eyes. We talk and we mourn the fact that in our country, that many people don't know Jesus. If we have compassion on them, do we really see them? If I see somebody who looks like you, and I know they're not in church, then I know there's a very real possibility that if the Lord returns tonight, they won't be on the bus for eternity in the right place. And we say, well, they should have they believed. They had a chance. That's not a compassionate thought, is it? A compassionate thought is I've got to do something to offer that person life. There's a reason Liz was over in the Philippines helping those three kids have a bath and brush their teeth. Even though she doesn't know the language, you know the language that she does know that they know? The language of love and compassion because she's there every morning to help them get a bath in a swimming pool or a classroom because that's the only bath they can have. My brothers and my sisters, it's pretty simple. People all around us, half of them at least and probably more, don't know Jesus. If that doesn't bother us, if that doesn't stir our hearts out of compassion for their souls, we just don't have a chance to reach them. In the last part of that passage, Jesus said, man, the fields are white under harvest. He wasn't saying that about then. He's saying that about now. Actually, he was saying it about then and now, wasn't he? The fields are white under harvest. If half the world doesn't know Jesus, then half the world is waiting to be offered Christ in a loving way, in a compassionate way that will make a difference in their life. Why be discouraged about having an abundance of sales opportunities? We should be turned on by the love of, for them, even in the midst of their strange circumstances, even in the midst of their sinful ways, even in the midst of their ignorance for not knowing or understanding. We should be turned on and feeling it the deepest part of our being because once when we didn't understand it God cared about us and he reached down to us in the spirit and saved our souls we need to feel that same compassion for others I'm praying for a community of compassion in this church for a community of compassion that will not let go and will not give up for a community of Compassion that has on their best glassware so that they can see the hurting people around us day in and day out. Yet we not offer the love of Jesus.
with you from Williamsburg. Will you join me in looking at your neighborhood, talking to your neighbors? Community of compassion is our neighbor. Father in heaven, if there's one here today who perhaps wandered in here and doesn't understand how much you love them, doesn't understand how much your church wants to reach out to them, how much doesn't understand how much that you can do for them and with them and in them when they turn to you. Whisper into their ear in a way that they could hear that they might come unto you. If there's anyone here, Lord, who's trying to serve Christ alone without a community of support, whisper in their ear that perhaps this is the place where they can belong, where they can give their gifts and receive gifts when they need them from others, for this is a community of brothers. I thank you for them, Lord, and I ask you to move in their hearts as we stand and sing songs of faith, songs of love, in Jesus' name.